That chat is brought to you by Walters. Watch UFC 288 this Saturday night at Walters, just across the street from the ballpark as UFC Bantamweight champion Aljamain Sterling takes on Henry Cejudo. Go to waltersdc.com slash events to reserve your space now and receive a $5 beer wall card. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swanson shaded in behind Smith, who leads off second. The go-ahead run in this 1-1 game. The 2-2 pitch. Swing a line drive to right. That's going to be a base hit down the line. Headed home is Smith. Nationals will take the lead as Suzuki plays it into second. C.J. Abrams comes through. Clutch single. Nationals lead it 2-1. The 1-2 to call. Swing a fly ball. Left center field toward the gap. Way back it goes, and it's going to be one hop off the fence. Scoring from second is Abrams. Robles coming around third, headed for the plate, and he will score without a play on a two-run double for Alex Call. Nationals lead it 4-1 to one as Call clears the bases. And welcome to NatSat for Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. Amal Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, the boys, they battled on Tuesday night. They rallied a three-run bottom of the seventh, a 4-1 win over the Chicago Cubs in game two of a four-game series. That's now 11-18, and 18, including 4-12 and 12 at home. Yes, this was just the Nats' fourth win in 16 home games, but this was a win, a nice win. C.J. Abrams had three hits. Alex Call had a big hit off a big bunting boo-boo of which he was a part. And yet another brilliant moment for the art of bunting. Oh, trust me, we'll be getting to that. And Trevor Williams had yet another good start. And we finally have the answer to the mystery of who the Nats starting pitcher for Wednesday night's game three will be. This episode of the Nat Chat Podcast is brought to you by Taste of Montreal, pop-up poutine food truck with authentic Montreal food located in Rockville, Maryland. A 10% discount to those who show up in Montreal Expos gear. Visit tasteofmontreal.com for more info. A lot to get into, but Mark, a nice win for the Nationals on Tuesday night. The end result, Al, was very good. The process that got them there, maybe not quite as much, but it was nice to see how the eight, nine, and one hitters in this lineup were afforded the opportunity to swing away in the bottom of the seventh. And guess what? It worked. It paid off. C.J. Abrams, Victor Robles, Alex Call, three straight clutch hits, driving in the three runs that would win them the game. That was a very nice thing to see because 
the direction this game was headed, if those guys did not come through or if they were not given the opportunity to swing away, I think the tone of this podcast would be quite different. I know from your perspective, it may still, this may be one where they won the game and you still have a lot to rant and rave about. And I don't blame you for that, but I think the tone will be slightly different because they did come through there at the end. I think there are actually a decent number of positives, including Trevor Williams, who rather sneakily is having himself a very nice season here. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people are going to be focused on the hitting. And uh, why don't we just go ahead and get to that? So look, there were some very good things in this game. Like I said, like Mark said, three run bottom of the seventh inning. CJ Abrams had a really nice game on Tuesday night, three for three, had a big RBI single in that three run seventh, a one out RBI single to right field for a 2-1 Nats lead, despite having been down in the count at 1.02. You know, C.J. Abrams starting to come along here a little bit. You know, it's sort of piece by piece, but C.J. Abrams through games on April 19th had an OPS on the season of just 602. He now has the OPS up to 697. So the numbers are creeping up for C.J. Abrams. So that right there is a very good thing. But the big blow in that three-run seventh inning was a big hit by Alex Call. One out, two-run double, to the left center field gap on a 1-2 pitch for a 4-1 Nats lead. So a really nice piece of hitting there by Alex Call. But yes, <laughs> there was the bunt that happened earlier in the game. So we all know the deal. Davey Martinez this season is bunt happy. He is bunt crazy. And on the one hand, you kind of sort of understand it because the Nats don't hit for power. But as we have pointed out recently, the Nats don't hit for power, but the Nats actually are hitting. The Nats actually have a good number of singles this season. And so if you need a hit or if you're trying to score a run, bunting, which, you know, almost always isn't the way to go anyway, with this team actually right now, you could argue especially isn't the way to go because this team is making contact and is actually generating a decent number of, yes, singles. Alex called bottom of the fifth, runners at the corners, one out, Nats holding a one nothing lead. Now the pitch and a bunt try out in front of the plate, fielded by Barnhart. Abrams going back to third, throw there, and he is out on the tag by Wisdom. So Abrams didn't think he was going to be able to score on that bunt too close to the plate and then hustled his way back to third. Barnhart throwing to third. The call is out, and we'll wait and see if the Nationals will challenge this call. Alex Call's bunt moved a few feet at most in front of home plate, and the play ended up being a disaster. Ended up being the latest fail for the Nats in a bunting situation. We got all kinds of tweets on this. You can always hit us up uh, on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. The bunt. What'd you think? <laughs> well, I'm going to go back even further to the third inning when Abrams leads off with a single and here comes Victor Robles. And I mean, you and I knew exactly what was going to happen. That's a guarantee. It's as if he was a pitcher coming up there. He puts down the bunt. It was not a good bunt, but thankfully for them, Trey Mancini at first base was looking ahead to make the throw before he actually had it and bobbled the ball and everybody's safe. And they ultimately scored a run because of Garcia's RBI single. Now move ahead two innings to the fifth. And you've got first and third with one out. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I think I have a sense what's probably going to happen here. And here's the thing. That wasn't Call's first bunt attempt. Like they, he had tried it earlier in the at-bat. So it's not like the Cubs were going to be surprised by this at all. I like squeeze plays in general when there's some element of surprise to it, if the infield's back, they're not expecting it. All you got to do is just get the ball down a little bit out in front of the plate, and it's almost always going to work. But in this case, the Cubs were ready for it. And then, of course, the bunt traveled, you know, a couple of inches in front of the plate. Now, Abrams may have actually gotten back to third. I know they reviewed it. It was inconclusive. So they stuck with the original call. He did a nice job, I think, under the circumstances to almost get back. 
But I'm just thinking to myself here, why not give them a chance to swing away? Let Alex Call try to hit the ball in the air. Something, by the way, he had done in his first at bat. He ripped a line drive to the warning track in left field. See if he can get the runner in in another way. Maybe you could actually have a big inning and not just settle for one run, which they clearly were playing for. So I particularly did not like it in that spot at that point in the game. They end up in a 1-1 game as this plays on, and then you get to the seventh, and we'll talk about that. I was just very glad to see that when the opportunity presented itself once again in the seventh, this time Dave said, no, you know what? I'm going to let those guys swing away. Let's see if we can score some runs here. So to me, I'm not going to give Davey Martinez credit for letting the guys swing away in the seventh inning. Like that to me was the most obvious thing in the world. Okay. There's a lesson that has to be learned here. And, you know, I'm not one of these people who says, oh, Davey's so terrible. Davey's the worst manager. I see a lot of that on Twitter. I think so much of that gets overstated. I'm not saying he's the best manager in baseball, but I think people get way over the top with the criticism of this guy. At the same time, I don't get this fixation with the bunting. And, you know, it's so funny, right? Because you think about Davey Martinez's background. He was Joe Madden's right-hand man for years, first with the Tampa Bay Rays, then with the Chicago Cubs. Davey understands the analytics. He understands the numbers. Like, he's aware of this. He even kind of referenced this during his post-game press conference, talking about how you don't want to be giving away outs. I don't know why he keeps doing this. And I'd love to hear from him, like, honestly, you think this is the best way to go. And Again, I get it. The Nats don't hit for a lot of power, but like as we're taping this right now, and these numbers may change, you know, given other results on Tuesday evening, but the Nats are 13th in the majors in team batting average. Like I said, they're getting hits and specific to call. He has been, relatively speaking, an offensive bright spot this season. He's doing a pretty good job. I mean, with Victor Robles, like maybe you could say, hey, you know, we've seen what he's been the last few years. Okay. With call, I, I don't get it. And I don't know how many more times this has to happen to where Davey stops doing this and sort of lightens up on the bunting. It's not working, and I think it's costing the Nats a lot. Yeah, so I think it's a reflection of who he has in the lineup, and it's a lack of faith and confidence in them to deliver. And on one hand, I can kind of understand that. We've seen this is not a team that's going to consistently deliver big hits like that. But at the same time, in the long run, you need to find out if these guys can do that because if they're going to have any success in the long term, they have to be able to deliver hits in big moments. And you can't just play scared like that and always go for the one run. I mean, we joke about this, but he treats Victor Robles like he's a pitcher hitting ninth for them. That's essentially it. If he ever comes up and there's a runner on base and less than two outs, it's almost a given that he's going to square around and bunt Let's see what the guy can do, what is being accomplished by always calling for it. Yes, some situations, yes, it's okay. The part of it that actually bothers me more is this, especially when it's Abrams in front of him and Abrams getting on base. Why isn't CJ being given a chance to steal some bases? Why isn't Robles being given a chance to steal some bases? This is supposed to be the new wave in baseball, the bigger bases, the fewer pickoff throws. They are not attempting stolen bases. These are guys who should be able to do that. And even in that situation with call at the plate, in the fifth, you have first and third, one out. If you're in Little League, what do you call in that play? It's automatic. You try to steal second because you know they're not going to throw down and throw you out. I know it's the big leagues a little bit different here, but you have an opportunity there. Give Robles the green light. See if he can steal second. If they throw it down, tell Abrams, hey, be ready. You might be able to swipe home on a double steal. Worst case, he slides into second. You've got second and third, and now a chance for 
a single can score two runs. So I don't really understand why it has become the default position. I, I think it is, like I said, a lack of confidence or feeling that this is the only way that they can do it. And maybe that's true. And maybe you let them swing away. They're going to start hitting a double plays and striking out and it's just not going to work. But it's not like these bunts are ultimately paying off. We've seen too many times here in the last few weeks where it doesn't go right because they're not getting the bunt down properly. They're not advancing the runner. The runner is getting thrown out, whatever it might be. They were really fortunate that it didn't cost them this time. It very easily could have cost them in this game. Yeah, it's a timid, scared beta way to do offense in Major League Baseball. And it ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy because you say, well, we have to bunt because we're not very good offensively. And the irony is the bunting keeps you from getting better offensively. It, It sort of holds you down offensively. The other thing too is this, you know, in a lot of organizations, the front office will tell the manager, hey, keep doing that, stop doing this. And a lot of people don't like that, but that is a trend in baseball now that like the baseball ops department runs the team far more than the manager does. Now, I've never gotten the sense that the Nats are like that, but you know, in another organization, like I wonder if Davey was doing this with say the Dodgers or the Rays or the Braves or a team like that. I wonder if the general manager or the president of baseball operations would have a little postgame chat with the manager and say, stop it, stop with the bunting, and literally instruct the manager to stop doing that, to calm down with that. Mike Rizzo doesn't strike me as someone who would do that, but I think in other organizations, a conversation like that might happen. Yeah, that's a fair point. And uh, I agree, though. I don't think this is the organization where you would see that happen. I think there's input when it comes to some lineup decisions and batting order and you know matchups and things like that. But really, when it comes time for the game to start, you know, they present all the information to Davey and his staff, and then they kind of let them go manage the game as they see fit. But yeah, you're right. There are some other places where maybe somebody from higher up would come in and say, hang on, don't we don't want you to do it that way. It would be interesting to hear. I don't necessarily think that Mike Rizzo is as adamantly opposed to it as we are on this podcast. He may not love it in every case, but he's probably not quite as opposed to it as we are or uh, other forward-thinking baseball minds out there might be. Today's episode is brought to you by Taste of Montreal. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, as you know, the forefathers of our dear team in D.C. hail from Montreal. The Expos might have been in last place more often than not, but they had amazing jerseys and even better food. Now you don't have to go to a different country to get fantastic poutine. Instead, you could do so in Montgomery County. Taste of Montreal, located in Rockville, Maryland, has Montreal-style bagels, smoked meat, and poutine, all native to Montreal. The chicken strips and fries are top-notch as well. Plus, a special offer for all Nats Chat listeners. If you wear any sort of Expos gear when you visit us, that's 10% off. That's 10% off when wearing any Expo shirt, hat, or whatever else you got. Visit tasteofmontreal.com for more information. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Some amazing news from Window Nation. You can modernize and reinvest in your home today with new windows from Window Nation, all while capitalizing on Window Nation's best deal of the year. 0% financing for five years. Unheard of. Zero interest for five years. And Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. 
Protect and increase the value of your home today by taking advantage of this great offer. Again, 0% financing for five years and two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And by the way, that goes for any style of window from Window Nation. And there's no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and save money on energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Here it comes. Swinging a ground ball toward the middle. It's through. A base hit in the right center field. Abrams scores. Digging for third is Call. He'll make it without a play. Luis Garcia drives in the game's first run with an RBI single. His 14th RBI. Nationals won. Cubs nothing. Well, the Nats did win this game on Tuesday night, and there were a few other items offensively that popped up that were good. Luis Garcia had another big hit for the Nats. Uh, He was, again, the number two batter. He had an RBI single in a one-run third, a one-out first pitch RBI single up the middle for a one-nothing Nats lead. Victor Robles actually had two hits in the game. He went two for two with two singles. He, in that three-run seventh, had a one-out infield single to the left side of the infield. Dominic Smith had another hit, so maybe he is coming around. A Smith in that three-run seventh, a leadoff single through the right side of the infield, despite having been down to the count at one point, one, two. Uh, Jamer Candelario on Tuesday night had a double, bottom of the second, a one-out double down the right field line, despite having been down to the count at one point, oh, two. And, you know, the Nats end up winning this game despite Joey Manessis and Kaybert Ruiz each going 0 for 4. I mean, uh, Kaybert in this game was your number three batter. Manessis was your number four batter. Manessis uh, is hitless so far in this series, but the Nats do end up finding a way to win. Like you said, 8-9-1 gets it done for the Nats. And those guys are actually, at the moment, maybe their most productive hitters. I'm looking at the starting lineup, their updated OPS. I would not have guessed this at this moment. The OPS leader among their regulars is Victor Robles at 732. Second on the team, CJ Abrams at 697. Then Ruiz at 688 and Call at 682. Everybody in the lineup is under 700 except for Robles. Go figure. And he's the guy who gets asked to bunt the most out of them all. That's not going to be a winning formula for long if it stays that way. They do need Manessas, Ruiz, Candelario, Smith, Thomas to start doing more. But it is nice to know that you have guys at the bottom of the lineup who are capable of doing things offensively. We saw that here. We saw Alex Call deliver. And it was interesting on the big double by Call. He said it was the exact same situation as in the first inning. I mentioned he hit, hit a ball hard earlier, line out to the warning track and left. It was on a slider with two strikes on him. He comes up in the seventh. He gets, it's a different pitcher at this point, but he gets a slider. He's got two strikes on him. They put the same swing on it. He said he just managed to hit it a little bit more to the right and a little bit deeper to get it to fall. And it turned into such a clutch hit for him. But I thought it was interesting that he found himself in the exact same situation, exact same pitch, and he stuck with his approach and it paid off for him in that spot. He's done a nice job for them. We've been talking about this. I don't know at what point you start to view him as anything more than a short-term answer as a fourth outfielder. Maybe he can be more than that. He's done a nice job, although he was kicking himself for not getting the bunt down because he does take pride in doing that. Well, here's something that's interesting slash notable slash surprising. So if I ask you which national starting pitcher has the best ERA so far, the answer, of course, is Josiah Gray. If I ask you which nationals pitcher has the second best ERA among national starting pitchers so far, the answer isn't Mackenzie Gore. The answer is Trevor Williams, 341 versus Gore's 377. Trevor Williams is doing a really nice job for the Nats, and 
He on Tuesday night had another good outing. Heck, maybe slash probably his best outing so far this season. Williams in this 4-1 win over the Cubs on Tuesday night, five into third scoreless innings. Uh, he gave up just four hits, a double and three singles. He issued a walk. He had four strikeouts. Uh, he threw 87 pitches, 55 strikes versus 32 balls. I think we get the deal with Trevor Williams. He's probably not someone who you want facing a lineup for a third time in a game, but the guy is coming through. Remember the Nats? This past December, signed Trevor Williams to a two-year, $13 million contract. He is, know this, the biggest offseason acquisition from the Nats from a contractual standpoint, a two-year, $13 million contract. But Trevor Williams now, six starts, ERA of 341, a whip of 123. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys. Dominant, he is not. And obviously, he does not possess the upside that a Mackenzie Gore has. This season is Trevor Williams' age 31 season. Heck, he's not even really a full-time starting pitcher. He's sort of uh, alternated between starter and reliever. But he's pitching well, and he pitched well again on Tuesday night. And he's the only member of the rotation that's gone at least five innings in every start so far. I know it's a low bar, but these days that counts for something. And certainly a guy who, as you just said, was a part-time starter, part-time reliever last year with the Mets. So there is a consistency there. He is giving them a chance Pretty much every time. Last start in New York wasn't his best. It was four runs and nine hits, but he did get through the five innings. Yeah, I think this was his best one. He's not a strikeout pitcher, but he started off. He had four strikeouts in the first two innings, and it was a very simple formula for him in this one. It was fastballs up in the zone, changeups down in the zone. He threw a few other stuff, not a lot, though, mostly stuck with that. He said that was the game plan going in. It worked. They stayed with it. And then you had... A moment that we don't see a lot around here, and certainly not usually with a pitcher like a Trevor Williams, maybe with a Max Scherzer, we used to see this. But he's out there to start the sixth inning, gives up a long fly ball to Dansby Swanson for the first out, and then here comes Davey to the mound. And most of the time you see the manager, you're just assuming, okay, here comes the bullpen. Well, no, Davey went out and talked to him, let him stay in the game. Now, it turns out it was only one more batter and he walked him on four pitches before he had to pull him again. So that didn't exactly work out, but I did like that scene playing out and a situation that we haven't seen here a lot in recent years where Davey is going out there and he had not made up his mind. He wanted to find out what did Trevor think? Did he have anything left in the tank? He said, yes, he convinced him and he stayed in. So I kind of like to see that. I know the result wasn't exactly what they were hoping for, but I like the expression of confidence there in a veteran starter who, as you said, has been one of their best so far this year. Well, he did well with the Mets last season. And I actually think there is something to, if you pitch well in New York, that's not easy because there is a pressure to pitching for the Mets and the Yankees that is maybe unlike any other pressure in baseball. New York is baseball obsessed. New York is so harsh <laughs> on all of its athletes, but especially its baseball players. So if you do well in New York, as Williams did, and you know, for a Mets team that at least last regular season did well, I think there's something to that. Like there is, I would think, a mental toughness with a Trevor Williams that, you know, maybe not every pitcher possesses. So you know where I stand on this, but I'm interested in where you think the organization stands on this. So the Nats don't have many viable, realistic trade chips this season. Trevor Williams is pitching well. And if he keeps this up, he is going to pitch himself into being a trade ship, whether that ship is cashed in by the Nats or not. Now, as I mentioned, he's on a two-year contract, which sort of changes the landscape a little bit. Like on the one hand, you could argue, well, that's reason for the Nats to keep him because, you know, they could use a guy like this for next season. On the other hand, that would make him more appealing, you would think, to another team if he's pitching well and is under contract for next season. Forget about what I think, what anyone else thinks. 
What do you think Mike Rizzo thinks? Do you think that he views Trevor Williams as a trade chip, or do you think that Mike is more inclined to keep Trevor Williams? It's early May. We have a ways to go until the trade deadline. But if you're Mike Rizzo, you're thinking about these things. What do you think he is thinking about Trevor Williams? I think he is probably more inclined to think of him as an important part of this team next year. And I say that because think about what else they have rotation-wise. It looks like Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore are going to be a big part of this. You hope that Cade Cavalli returns from his Tommy John surgery and is a big part next year. Patrick Corbin will have one year left and be back. Beyond that, though, there's nobody else that you're really sure about. Maybe a Jackson Rutledge is ready. Maybe a Jake Irvin is ready to be a part of the rotation. We're going to find out on Wednesday, get a first glimpse at that. But I think for now, I I think they did give him that second year because they understood the value of having some veteran stability there. And I know you say, well, wait, don't they have a guy named Patrick Corbin making a lot more money? Yeah, but we've seen how that has worked out. So I think he views him as a piece for next year. Now, we know with Rizzo, he's always going to listen to what's out there. And if somebody did make him an offer he couldn't refuse, then yeah, I could see it happening. I would think he's more likely to consider that though if by the time we get to late July, Gore and Gray are continuing to dominate and be healthy and somebody else, whether it's Irvin, Adone, Rutledge, somebody else may be stepping up to the point that you say, okay, we think we do have enough pieces moving forward that we can do this. You still need five starters, no matter if you're good, bad, in the middle of the pack. You need guys to give you innings. And Trevor Williams, I do think, has value for that reason. That could make him value another team, sure. But I think the Nats see him as a piece of this, not just this year, but next year for those reasons. I think Trevor Williams and Hunter Harvey are really interesting trade chip conversations because with Hunter Harvey, I know he's been good, but to me, he is a ticking time bomb with his injury history. And the fact that he's pitching well is all the more reason to trade him as opposed to saying, well, he's a piece for the future. A, he's a reliever. All these relievers are impossible to trust. But B, with Harvey, man, and look, I hope the guy stays healthy for years, but his history is undeniable. So I think that's going to be really interesting is how the Nats play the Hunter Harvey card. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Cape Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and health care. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer of the podcast, to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to these shouldn't be stressful. That's why you should look into the Game Time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. 
If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, Game Time offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think fastball to climb the ladder here. He hasn't shown it to him yet. Doesn't want to go 3-2. We shall see. Here's the set. Now the pitch. And there it is in there. Strike three. Called a fastball at 98 miles an hour. But it was a knee-high fastball that locked up wisdom, and the inning is over. Well, we did see Hunter Harvey on Tuesday night in what ended up being an ultimately effective game for the Nats bullpen, but an adventurous game for the Nats bullpen. So four relievers combined to allow one run in three and two-thirds innings. It wasn't always easy, though. Coral Edwards Jr. came into the game, top of the six, runner on first, one out, Nats nursing a one nothing lead. He gave up a one-out double to Cody Bellinger to right field on an 0-2 pitch, then issued an intentional walk of Seiya Suzuki to load the bases, but Edwards then retired two consecutive batters, including getting uh, Trey Mancini to strike out swinging with the bases loaded and one out. Then Mason Thompson came into the game, and he didn't look so great. Top of the seventh, he faced four batters, got just two outs, including giving up a leadoff game-tying home run by Patrick Wisdom on a bomb to center field to tie the game at one. Hunter Harvey came into the game, one and a third scoreless innings, although he only threw 11 strikes versus 10 balls, uh, over 21 pitches, gave up a single, gave up a walk, but ultimately was effective. And Kyle Finnegan tossed a scoreless top 
of the ninth inning. So not exactly smooth, but the bullpen ultimately did do a good job. Yeah. And I'm a little concerned about Thompson, these back-to-back days or, you know, coming off an outing like he was good the previous night. Not in this case, gave up a home run. I'll be interested to see moving forward. Is that a, a problem for them? Are they worried about him pitching the day after or two days after he goes multiple innings? I'm not sure. They did all like ultimately came through with pitches when they needed to. It's not always going to be that clean. And let's give the Cubs some credit. We said it the other night when they beat up on Mackenzie Gore that there's some good hitters in that lineup. So the fact that as a group, they held them down to one run, that's good stuff. But you did burn up all those guys in the A bullpen. We'll have to see on Wednesday who's available and who isn't. I get it. You're trying to win a game. You got to use your best weapons when you have them. But it was kind of like a good result, but not really a, a clean dominant performance by the bullpen. Well, and to go back to what you were talking about with Trevor Williams, you know, lobbying to stay in the game, I wonder how much of the bullpen was on Davey's mind of, yeah, you want to stay in the game and I kind of want you to stay in the game because I don't want to keep burning up relievers. I mean, the Nats are still in this stretch of, you know, playing a lot of games. You don't have a scheduled off day until a week from Thursday. So yeah, I mean, you need fresh arms and especially with Jake Irvin starting on Wednesday night, you know, who knows how many relievers you'll have to use there. So yes, the mystery uh, has been solved. Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher for game three against the Cubs on Wednesday night. The Nats, after their win on Tuesday night, announced having optioned Corey Abbott back to AAA Rochester off having recalled him from Rochester on Monday. So Jake Irvin will get the call. Jake Irvin per MLB Pipeline is the Nats number 20 prospect. So he's not, you know, like a highly touted prospect, but you know, he is someone in the Nats farm system. He has not had great results so far this season. Uh, Irvin for the Rochester Red Wings, five starts, an ERA of 564, a whip of 152. I guess just to put a bow on what we talked about on the last show, was this always the plan? Or do you think that the plan changed in terms of who was supposed to start on Wednesday night? That's a great question. I don't have a definitive answer, but I kind of get the sense that this is maybe what they wanted to do all along, that they called up Corey Abbott two days in advance, not to hold him until they would need him to start, but because they felt like they needed more immediate help in the bullpen. Now, my only issue with it is I'm not sure why he was the guy for that because it was three days after he had thrown 90-something pitches in a dominant start. I'm not sure why they didn't just call up a traditional reliever. They could have brought back Jordan Weems, who had just been up for the doubleheader, but you're allowed to make a move that quickly because it was for injury. They could have done that. They chose not to. The only thing I can think is that they didn't want to burn up options on anybody else, and they were okay doing that with Abbott. You're allowed five options a year now, for those who don't know, and you know I don't think Corey Abbott's going to be up and down five times this year. You wouldn't think that. On one hand, I'm very interested and excited to see what Jake Irvin can do. And you could say, hey, they had their choice of some more experienced guys. Paolo Spino, although he would have been on short rest, or Willie Peralta, or even Yoan Adone, who we have seen in the big leagues, even though he's a young guy, or to go with a 26-year-old rookie who we have not seen yet. And they went with the rookie making his major league debut. So in some respects, I credit them for giving a shot and actually saying, hey, they're in a situation where you should be looking at guys like Jake Irvin. I figured we were going to see him sometime this year. It's a little sooner than I thought we would. He hasn't dominated, but his last start at AAA was pretty good. He was a fourth round pick in 2018 out of Oklahoma, a program they've know very well, Cade Cavalli, also Jake Bennett. He was there with all of them. 
and we'll see. He's not an, you know, like you said, an elite prospect. I, I kind of liken it to maybe when Jackson Tatro was called up last year and we saw some glimpses of the guy who maybe had a future until he got hurt. But they're going to throw him out there. Let's see what he's got. And originally, this was a spot start because of the rain out the doubleheader. But with Chad Cool on the IL, there are multiple starts to be had here. I don't know if they're going to let him just automatically take those or they're going to see how it goes Wednesday and then adjust from there. But he's going to get an opportunity. And I'm very interested to see how he looks at it. So I'm a little bit in spring training. Like I said, somebody that I figured we would see before the end of the season, but maybe a little bit sooner than I expected. Yeah, there certainly is opportunity here. And, you know, I don't think it's going to take a ton for him to get a second start. Like if he goes out there on Wednesday night and say, you know, gives you two runs in five innings, something like that, why not start him again? I mean, this is the position that ads are in. Like, go ahead and see what you have here. And, you know, it can be strange with pitchers. Sometimes a guy will not have good numbers at AAA, but you call him up and he kind of does all right at the major league level, at least for a little while. Like, it's not always as, as simple as he was good in AAA. He's good at the major league level. He was bad at AAA. He'll be bad at the major league level. Like, it, it doesn't always try translate that way. So we'll see. Yeah. Now it would be great to see him do well, but I will just caution everyone that the track record here of pitchers making their major league debut for the nationals as a starter is not good. Can you name me the last national to win his major league debut? And I know wins and losses aren't everything, but can you name me the last national to win his major league debut? It's not Strasburg, is it? It is Steven Strasburg in 2010. They've had 15 others. I've been sitting on this list for a while. They've had 15 other guys as starters make their major league debut since then, and not one of them has emerged with a win. Now, some of them pitched well enough and maybe deserved it. Lucas Giolito was all right in his debut. Yoan Adone was actually very good and had no decision. But uh, here's the list. The 15 guys who've made their major league debuts as starters for the Nats since Steven Strasburg, and none of them came away with the win. Uneski Maya, Tommy Malone, Nate Carnes, Taylor Jordan, Joe Ross, A.J. Cole, Reynaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito, Eric Fetty, Austin Voth, Will Crow, Joanna Doan, Jackson Tatro, Evan Lee, and Cade Cavalli. So Jake Irvin's about to join that list and hope that he can do something that none of those previous 15 have done and actually emerge with a curly W in his Major League debut. Well, I think there is an underlying message in what you just gave us, and that is that the Nats have had a hard time uh, drafting and developing starting pitchers for a while now. And I think that that is what that speaks to as much as anything. That is quite the list. Boy, that is something. I mean, June 2010, for the last time a national starting pitcher made his regular season major league debut and notched the win. Jeez, that is something. We want to thank our sponsor for this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast, Taste of Montreal, Papa Poutine Food Truck with Authentic Montreal food located in Rockville, Maryland, a 10% discount to those who show up in Montreal Expo's gear. Visit tasteofmontreal.com for more information. Check out our new website, natschatpodcast.com. You can listen to previous installments of the show. You can contact the show. You can also get yourself or someone who you know, a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Mother's Day is coming up. What better way to say thank you to your mom by getting her a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt? Uh, you can email the show, natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show. We'd love to have you on board, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
Man, that would have to get the most valuable player vote from me on the mound, Steve Rogers. If you can beat Steve Carlton twice in a short series, you have really done your work. It's over. A soft line drive to Cromarty. The Expos advance to the championship series. It's an interesting story. That man, Jim Fanning, age 54, out of the front office, takes over the ball club in September. And for the first time, a Canadian team will be in the fight for the National League pennant. And Fanning leading his mixture of youth and aids down the stretch. Steve Rogers delivering today, shutting out the fills and delivering a two-run single in the process as Montreal wins the deciding fifth game. And here at Veterans Stadium, 47,384 were witness. They had their year in 1980, and although some of them booed the Expo's victory today, This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.